Hey, welcome back to Even More Mashed Up. We are the pop culture podcast where two professors talk all things pop culture. I'm Alan. And I am Patrick. And, is, and today is a day long awaited in the annals of the podcast. <gasps> do we have annals? We do. I did not know we I'm had annals. I'm sure we do. But if you're, you're the historian, you're in charge of the annals. Well, we may not have annals. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is all I'm going to say. But yes, today we Would are... the annals be just the stuff that's on on Spotify? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. We have annals. It's pretty, much, it's pretty yeah. much the podcast itself. It's a self. Yes. It's a self-analyzing uh, mm. uh, thing. <laughs> anyway, as I said, a yes. long way to because we are talking about yes the Netflix adaptation uh-huh. of Don DeLillo's White Noise, which yes. of course longtime listeners will know is my absolute favorite novel of all time. We've not really talked about that much, though, I don't think, over the course. Like, I think you'd have to do a pretty deep dive into the annals I think to discover that you are a big White Noise fan. Number one, there's nothing wrong with asking our audience to do a deep dive into the annals of the podcast to search for previous references to I'm sure that, White Noise. You know what? We should give a prize oh, there you go. to the first listener who gets in touch with us and gives us a citation to mm. you're talking about White there Noise. There we go. Yes, there you go. Only 170-odd... 180? 200? How many? 200. 200. 200, 200, 200 episodes. 200 or 201. We're right around 200. Kind of dig through. Okay. All right. So. But yes. It is a moment that we have been waiting for. You have been. That the audience has been waiting you for. You sure have. That Alan has been waiting for. You cannot for, wait. That Zach has waited for even yes, before he was with us on the show. Especially you. Woo. And also yeah. me. Yeah. That's my biggest concern. Hmm. You said we should start with general thoughts. Uh-huh. I don't know quite how to navigate a show about a book that means so much to you. Because I, I have to say, I read the book maybe 15 years ago. How long have you been here? This is year 17. So about 15 years ago yeah. because you love the book. I do love the book. And you would talk about the book a lot. I would. And you that would, was back when I taught it almost every single semester. You would teach the book, like yes. no matter what the class was. It Pretty was much. like white noise will fit. And oh, you, we do it African-American lit white noise. That's right. That's right. Is it Asian lit? <laughs> Asian, oh, white noise. noise. Yeah. It, like, it didn't matter what the class was. The book was there. So I thought to myself, if Patrick likes the book so much, mm-hmm. I should read it. And I read it and I really liked the book. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book. Yes, that's fine. Of all time. But it's a really good book. But I don't remember it particularly well. Yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. About navigating the show with you, I don't want to offend you. I have a feeling that there must be parts of the show that offend you because you're a canonist, like you believe in the canon, and there is the original White Noise. So I assume there will be a list of complaints. There are some, yes. There, there, there are some significant deviations from the the book. Do you remember that how, I find problematic? Do you remember how upset you were when you thought the kids were going to have different names? Yes, and they did not change the. Kids I know, names. but you were just really upset, upset about that. And if that's going to upset you, I'm yeah. thinking. Holy cow. Yeah, no, like, well, I mean, it just seems like a recipe for disaster. I found it a difficult film to navigate. Yes. Because watching the film, yeah. it was impossible for me to separate watching the film from my experience of reading the book. Yes. Because cause the, so the, the entire book is narrated by Jack's character. Mm-hmm. And so there were many times where lines that characters in the film say are things that Jack in his narration say. And every time yeah. someone said that, I was like, they don't say that. That's Jack. But, like, that's that's not his line. That's Jack's. But is it possible? And I'm just wondering about the distance between you and your mic, because Zach usually says it's this. It's all good? Yes. He, yeah, he's he's fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, just, I made sure I'm far enough away. He's loud enough. It does help, yeah, exactly. right, that he's loud enough. So I made sure I was far enough so, away. So I, I was talking with Bobby about this, because we were talking about the difficulty of adapting a book to yes. film. And I feel like the only way to enjoy a movie like this 
is to disconnect yourself a little bit yeah, from the to, source material. And I know that you can't. Couldn't do it. I, you can't, like, often for superheroes, too. Like, for stuff that Matt... I, I'm better at it with superheroes than I was with this film. This film oh, wasn't possible. Oh, no. This wait, film wait, was, this was possible for me to separate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this... this I had okay, a really okay, tough boomer. time. Okay, That's That... Wow. Yeah, it was... Really? It was, it was, it was, really? I know wow. this book yeah. back No, you do. Forwards. Like, you, you could probably recite... A lot. Sections to, of the book, to a like if, you, if somebody got you started, like Possibly. a bike going downhill, like you'd, yeah. you'd get a couple lines in before you wiped out. Not, nah, I don't know if I'd get that far, but there's enough that I could recognize, like when people were saying lines that were not their own in the book. Because I generally like the movie. Okay, I, I think adaptations are hard. They are because if it's a really well-known book, people bring expectations. Mm-hmm. Like people love The Grapes of Wrath as a film. Yes, I cannot watch it and enjoy it because mm-hmm. it feels to me. Kind of that it runs almost counter to what Steinbeck was. Well, actually... they give it a happy ending, as I recall. In the yes. Film, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a v- it well. Is. Right. The endings are very, very different. You know, the film yes. is like we got ten days of picking and things are good. Yeah. It just. It. Yeah. And so, I understand it. Yeah. But I just. Yeah. I. 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 I I'm afraid we're in a for a litany of things Not that a aren't litany. the same. Not a litany. Because I, you know, I, I, I do understand some of the things they did to to condense certain things down. Okay. Um, you know, there are just a couple of things that they did that I don't think work. Um, and and one of them in particular that I find very problematic. But okay. Um, are we saving those? That's like a, a yeah, we can, for we, later we can save show. that for later. Yeah, okay. but there's there's one big one that I I find really problematic. But yeah, it's it's. The other thing, too, is I will give them credit for the way that they did sort of still preserve the structure of the novel in the film, in that the film's divided into three sections. They're the same three sections in the novel. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, and what goes on in each of those three sections of the film is basically what goes on in the novel. Okay. The problem... Sounds like a big win. The problem is that... Mm, doesn't sound like a big win. Well, no, the issue... There is a lot of setup work done in the first section, Waves and Radiation, which feels somewhat disconnected and plotless in the reading. And they cut a lot from it. Okay. And I think because of that, the stuff that could have resonated more in the remaining two sections, I don't know that it quite worked as well. So a real artistic complaint. Well, it's not so much, it's just, you know, for example, I don't know that the film ever gave us any real reason to care about any of these characters. They're all kind of weird and quirky from the get-go, and they remain that way. And, and, and like, the kids in particular don't really get, I think, nearly as much time as they do. Yeah. But I, most the of the characters in the novel, if I remember correctly, are kind of weird and quirky. They are, but you also characters. come to love them in a way that I don't think the film quite has the the, the length at the beginning to do. Because it's Got clear it. yeah. that, that... I'm forgetting the producer's name. Um Oh, what's his name? Noah Bombach. Oh, you're talking about the director. The director, sorry, yeah. Yes. So the other issue, too, is that it's clear that he really wants to emphasize the disaster section of the movie. And I think he maybe tries to get to that too quickly. And, And because of that, some of the things he does, too, I think don't establish some of the themes of the novel in the early part that he actually does do in the later part. Like the scene at the end of the Airborne Toxic event in the film yeah. mm-hmm. where the guy holds up the TV and says, you know, we're not on TV, doesn't our suffering rate, the time right. or whatever. There's a hole in the first section 
pattern of kind of the difference between what's real, real and what's represented and, and yeah. that they live in a world of the image. There's an earlier disaster where people are not televised and someone says, like, well, their experience yeah. meant nothing. Yeah. And none of that's in the film. And so that moment just doesn't resonate the way it, See, it could have. I did feel that, but maybe not the way that it does in the book. Yeah. And that, I, you know, that I can't. I yeah. can't argue. Bobby was complaining that the guy that's going to get in the snake cage for 24 hours. Oh, Oris Mercator. Isn't there at all, right? Yeah. Like, he's completely cut. And Bobby said that's his favorite. Oris favorite is a pretty part great part. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that got cut. Right. Um, but, yeah. Well, and, again, a lot of the stuff with the kids got yeah. cut. I mean, that's, that, that's a big chunk of, particularly in the, the second and third right. section, that's a lot of Heinrich stuff. And it's, it's a real challenge, though, for a filmmaker. It to is. take a book like White Noise, which is very dense. Mm-hmm. And very layered. Well, it's very, and the other and, thing and too is to that get, to capture all of that is, yeah. I think, is a challenge. Well, and the other thing too is that the second and third section, you know, Airborne Toxic Event is a disaster movie, so making a disaster movie works. Okay. The Dilarama is a midlife crisis sort of of film that works. Right. The problem is the first part of the novel, Ways and Radiation, is a sitcom, and. Because you get 22 chapters that are loosely connected. That's basically a different scene in the Gladney's life each day. Yeah. There's not a film version equivalent of that. And so I think that's why it got Interesting. cut down quite a bit. Is that, yeah, there's you can't do, you know, it, it, an hour long of stuff that seems to make no sense. Right. Well, that to me, I thought that was white noise. It is, but I think particularly within that section, I think... Yeah. That's the one that doesn't translate. In a way, direct, I, it doesn't yeah. translate as directly to film right. as the other two sections fair, do. Fair. I I do kind of like the idea of juxtaposing sitcom to to tragedy. Yeah. Like that that kind of works. But I have I have some other issues with the end of the film. But maybe we should talk about what we liked first. Okay. The first thing I like I I just I so love the opening, the car crash, montage. Is Murray's teaching students about how they should understand mm-hmm. that kind of spectacle? What have I stepped on? I, no, no, I can just, already no, see no, the no, look no, on your face. Just, just, what what have I done wrong? You haven't done anything wrong. Um, the way he's teaching students about how they should understand, like that this is spectacle, that it's actually about American optimism, mm-hmm. that it is, um, it's not the violence we should see, that we have to look past it to the mm-hmm. innocence, that these are, what does he say, stagings of secular optimism mm-hmm. and self-celebration. I just, I just thought it was a lovely introduction to a film. It is my issue with it. I knew it. I knew it, Zach. I told you. No, it's not. It's not with you. It's with the film. Uh-huh. Is that? That's one of the ways I see because that's the one moment. Yeah. Prior to airborne toxic event that really talks about disaster directly. Right. And so I can see them kind of plucking it out of the middle of the novel and putting it at the beginning. Oh, it's in the middle of the novel. Oh yeah, it's 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 another random moment. Well, just and, and, and unacceptable. I think, well, no, it's, I, know, it's, you know, it's, I apologize no, no, to no, you no, no, for liking me, something that wasn't in the appropriate you're not sequence. Letting me finish. Okay, please. It go. changes, I think, the thematic trajectory of of um, the film. Okay. In that, I don't know because there's other moments early on that I think speak better to that theme of that they live in kind of a represented reality, right? Than that. That one's a bit more complicated in making that point, and I feel like it it kind of puts too much emphasis on the disaster, which is which you know the disaster is something that happens in the novel, but it's not the be all and end all of the novel, and in a way, the film kind of makes it that way. But isn't Murray kind of telling you, hey, you know, don't get don't get hooked up in this, look past it. He is, but it's in the context of 
the novel's theme of representation versus reality, not separate from it in the way that, that I think putting it at the beginning mm. makes it. Okay. Interesting. Well, anyway, I like no. it, and I stand by it. Okay. I, I, I mean, I can it. see why they did it. It just it feels to me like it particularly – and again, this is my me talking my experience of the novel – yeah, I don't know that it worked for me. It didn't work for me. It, it like, did I, for the me. The moment but they started, I was like, like, "Oh, I feel like they're shifting already." From I'm just an uncivilized philistine, like yeah. tromping my way through this movie. Possibly. Yeah. So that does get us talking a little bit about um, faculty. So yes. one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about, I'm mm-hmm. I'm always really interested in the way in which pop culture presents teachers or more specifically mm-hmm. professors. We've talked about them here before. Miss mm-hmm. Grundy from Riverdale mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like we've talked about how teachers show oh, up. Oh, the, the, the history professor from Timeless. <laughs> right, yeah. Or the the guy on the, uh, I can't remember the name of the ship, on Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the history professor. Like, like there's there's a certain kind of way yeah. that history professors mm-hmm. or English professors, like this, this kind of professors show yeah. up. And so I'm kind of wondering, is like we kind of look at the movie in real life, like, what do they get right or wrong about the lived faculty experience? Well, I will say one thing. This is one yes. place where the movie does do better than the book. Okay. In that I appreciate the diversity among the faculty in the film because the book is very white. Yeah. So I was very happy to see them because Oris Mercator is about as close to a, a non-white person in the book as, as you get. Can There's you help a- us with Oris Mercator? I know nothing about him but snakes. That's all they're. I mean, uh, when Jack first meets him, yeah. he tries to pin down what ethnicity is. Okay. And he got basically it. lists yeah. every single one, saying he could be any of these. Yeah. Oh, that's a very faculty way of thinking about yeah. the world. So, um, and then there's like a. All possibilities. Uh, there's, no a, there's a group of, of black Jehovah's Witnesses that are at the camp with him at one point. And that, that's. And then his doctor. Like, that's well, really about it. So I think I was, in, I was happy to see the diversity among the, the faculty. I think in many ways. This book is a product of the 80s. Oh, it is. And it captures a lot of the 80s in ways that I want to talk about that I think are very, very insightful. Mm-hmm. That DeLillo saw things mm-hmm. that I think people didn't see or people chose to look away from mm-hmm. in the 1980s. But I, so there was, a, a, to the diversity point, mm-hmm. it was a more diverse faculty. Yes. But it was fascinating to me the way they captured the dynamics at the calf lunch, mm. the way in which women sat. At a different different table. table. Yeah, Winnie's at a different table. And they were kind of consulted, but only very narrowly Mm -hmm. and clearly were not part of. So there's clearly a critique of. For for whatever diversity you see happening there, there's also a critique about the ways in which the professoriate Mm -hmm. is closed off and creates Mm -hmm. systems that don't allow access. Mm -hmm. Fair? Not fair? That's fair. Okay. Anything else? In terms of good things? Well, no. In terms of in terms of like presentation of faculty, I have some ideas to pitch at you. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Go ahead and go okay. On. If Adam Driver's going to play a professor, he has to what? Put on some weight and not look so good. Oh yeah. Right. So clearly, there's like there's a judgment about how faculty look. No. 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 Adam Driver's Adam Driver. He doesn't need to do anything. He's good. No, he's really good. But he, he does. Good, but he does. Get, he does he's got to... like a substantial pot belly. Yeah. And is really like he's he's. He's leaning into that midlife academic, yeah, stereotypical look. Again, Adam Driver is not who I would have played the role. I thought he was pretty good, though. Yeah, ex- well, like, the problem is, and I'm not—you know me—they make a particular. You heard me talk about Kylo Ren on this show. I don't know what you're going to say. They make a particular point that he's 41. Yeah, in the book, he's 51. 
Oh, for God's sake! Okay, you so know that, what? We should. Did kind of we have to cancel the whole. We just have like to cancel they, the whole. You know, Hope's friend is actually in the scene where he's teaching Hitler class. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. that. I, I saw him this weekend at Hope's at Hope's play. Mm-hmm. I grilled him about it. It was, it was like 15 hours. He was on the set. Oh wow! Yeah, most of the time just like sitting around in like a big convention center. Yeah, but yeah. Well, the the Hitler Elvis debate is one of the I, the, the signature moments of the text. I want to come back. I want to come so. back to that for sure. Uh, but before we get there, the um. Did they portray professors with the right amount of pomposity, would you say? Wearing the robes across campus, like this sort of assumed like superiority over all of the mere mortals among whom they must walk and teach? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the, the robe being sort of the visual manifestation of, of that. Right. Would you wear your robe to teach? No. What if I gave you $10? Because, Zach, for, it is not for $10. the brightest yellow robe you have ever seen in your sun life. Gold. I mean, it is. It, the it, color it, is yeah. sun gold. It, and it, it, it shines like the sun. It I does. mean, it's it is. very bright. It, it's, it, it's almost otherworldly. My fear is if there is, brightness. there is ever a sniper at graduation. If they're looking for I'm you, tr- you're I'm done for. Yeah, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the bright yellow dude in a sea of black. Yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah there's toast. a little blue and red in there, but it's, yeah. it's mostly. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely stand yeah. out. It made me feel better watching it because I still wear the robe I bought for $10 at the bookstore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like that makes me slightly less. Slightly less? Yeah, slightly less. Uh, but, you know, if it were up to me, I'd get rid of all the robes. Yeah. Except for the yellow one because I know you love it. Mm-hmm. Um, our faculty ridiculously focused on areas that are obscenely narrow and obtuse? No, oh, Zach is saying, giving, giving Zach a seems heavy to nod yeah. to that one. Zach seems to agree. <laughs> Right, like that. Murray is an expert on living icons, or like longs to be the the Elvis expert. Mm-hmm. Does that strike you as authentic to uh, the academy? Uh, you know, it's 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 not entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, would we you do agree? tend to carve out our our little niches? It is true. Do we have tremendous ego over very small accomplishments? Oh, absolutely. What am I? It, we, we have yeah. tremendous ego over very small things. Period. Not right. just accomplishments. Yeah, because our accomplishments are, are few and far between. Mm-hmm. I've told you the story before. I sit in my office one day and somebody calls me, and I pick up the phone and they say, "Is this Alan Austin?" And I say, "Yes," because it was. And they said, "They said to me, somebody said I should call you and talk to you because you are the world's leading expert." And I was like, "Oh yeah, like I am. I am the world's leading expert." And then he continued the sentence. In Japanese Americans, and I'm like, okay, like that's narrowed it quite a bit, but still, like a lot of important scholarship done in that field, who resettled during World War II. I'm like, mm, okay, like that's it's getting pretty narrow in Cincinnati, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I'm the only person who's actually written that essay, leading so, expert, right? So I'm I'm the the world's leading expert, yes, in such a narrowly defined topic that it's quite a miracle that anybody ever called that me. Is, that is what we do, though. To literally... That, uh, right, but we that's... Define a very, we, we define right. our small pond in which we are the, the large frog or fish or whatever it is. Is this big fish in a small pond? No, it's the it's the, the large frog. I think it's a frog. It's not a frog. I think it's a frog. I want to be the large I want to be the big frog <laughs> on my small pond. Yes. I'm sure it is a frog. One hundred percent. You are the world's frog. leading expert on large frogs <laughs> on, and small on, ponds. On, uh, I'm I'm the expert on uh, pond cliches. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what it is. It's a big frog on a lily pad. Yeah. Yeah. Big frog on a small lily pad. I'm pretty sure that's the phrase. Okay. All right. So 
you would agree then that and then of course when you have that level of pomposity when you're caught saying something wrong mm-hmm. you have to double down on Pretty it much. And oh yeah it's like no you will understand yeah. my expertise <laughs> yes no that is if exactly... i have to talk for 20 minutes yeah no that's exactly what i meant big frog in a small pond we are all big frogs on small ponds small golden ponds that we are on i on golden pond joke there Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were just saying you were sitting over a bowl of your own urine. No. was the question <laughs> I was wondering about. No. Which, which is a... It's going for an on-golden pond. Kind of a fairly apt metaphor, it's actually. Not, yeah, Either one. Either one is. kind of works. But the urine is very niche. <laughs> you know, I bet there's not a world's leading expert on urine. I bet, you know what? Oh, I bet there is urine in literature. There I bet totally there's like is. an entire field of urine in literature. Yeah, there probably is. There's, there's something about everything nowadays. Right. I feel but, like we've drifted a little bit yeah. from the but film. The way in which Jack is mm-hmm. like like the Hitler studies yes. guy. Yes. And yet underneath it is this tremendous insecurity, which is in the novel as well. Yeah, well, but, and that's yeah, one of the please. things in the novel that for me that I, that I sort of see going on in the novel is that, yes, Jack has built up this complete sort of image of himself as a Hitler studies professor. Right. But as we see in the film, he doesn't know German. Right. There is no substance behind that. It's all just image. And so, you know, right. he's largely insecure because real Germans are coming. And right. he is he is a fake Hitler studies. But it raises a question, like, I, I guess you should speak German if you're a Hitler studies guy. Apparently Jack feels you should. Right. That there right. is a kind of authenticity that is demanded. Well, that makes me, I, I understand why I bristle at that a little bit. Yeah. My Japanese is not particularly My My, my Spanish is not great. Right. As a, you know, someone yeah. who... Unless Earth space is Spanish. <laughs> I believe it's Earth spaceo. <laughs> Spacio. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, so um, finally, the departmental politics are pretty are, are petty and dumb. Oh God, yes. Yeah, I the the less you have to fight over, the mm-hmm. bigger the stakes become yes. over little stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why. What is it? The yeah, uh, academics are so thoroughly invested and fight over things because there's so little at stake. Right. Yes. Right. So it's, it's sad. This movie is a sad indictment of those a, who call themselves doctors. It's a sad, funny indictment. Of, yes. Of, faculty it makes it a little easier to go down yeah there's one thing that i think is totally true okay what teaching looks like when they do the duet mm-hmm. it, it's almost like a ballet it is like yes. it's it's sung and it's danced mm-hmm. and it's just i love that moment of film they did a nice like, job of was, that from yeah thought, that, that was one of the moments i mean i i will give i mean there you know i'll give bamba credit that there's a lot of stuff that yeah. is very directly translated from the book to the film. And nicely translated. And general, think, yeah, and yeah. generally captured well. And and yeah, so the Hitler-Elvis... Because I always... And, and, you know, I always sort of imagined... I think they're in a much smaller space in the book, but they're, they're always sort of like circling around each other right. as they do in the film. So. Yeah, and there's a student, for reasons I don't understand, taping it, which kind of creates an even more kind of structured cinematic Well, and there was also... There's also, there's also a moment that I thought maybe the, the, the student that hoped to know was going to be that. Yeah. Because at that point in the novel, we've established that Jack is, you know, Jack doesn't know German right. and and um, is very uh, uh, insecure about it. Right. At one point, I think when he refers to Hitler as a mama's boy, one of the students says mother's boy in German or, or, or uh, what, what, mama's boy in German. Yeah. And Jack looked at him with great fear and suspicion. I was really hoping yeah. that that was going to be in there. I was like, yeah. eh, it's probably too small. No, Hope, Hope, Hope's friend was in um, the big lecture hall scene. 
Oh, just the one, the the yeah, one not, where he's showing the film? Right. Yeah. Oh, not, okay. He's not in the, the slow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he was in that. That would have been okay. a, a step up. Okay, for gotcha. Sam. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't I did like that because there. in the book, that's the one time you see Jack teach, is he basically shows a whole bunch of films for the entire class. No discussion, nothing. Well, it's just a bunch of films. Like Scream Queens. Yeah. Remember the guy yes. on Scream oh, Queens? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he shows up on campus all of a sudden. He's like, I'm the new English professor. <laughs> that's Let's watch some movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one class you see. Yeah. Boy, that was a bad dad, too. So... But I wonder if that's how students felt back in the, the heyday when you and I team taught together the comic book class. If they felt like you and I were Jack and Murray mm. kind of crossing the room, doing this like intellectual kind of ballet, balancing ideas. Yeah, at, t- at times, yes. I'm, I'm sure they did. <laughs> at times. I'm pretty sure if we went back into the annals of our, our course reviews, yes. uh, intellectual ballet I'm sure was used. More than once. More than, a lot of Yeah, time, intellectual yes. ballet. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty it, it, sure that's... that's now what, that you say that, it does it does ring a bell. Yeah. I mean, the next time, should we ever teach the class again, yeah. we should stand up at some point and just circle the oh, we Oh, we totally should. We should 100% do that. And just... And, that and, could come with like an 80s handheld Oh, there we go. Yeah, that, yes, we could... And like we, just videotape the whole exactly thing. Exactly, the we, whole thing. Yes. But listening to the, what they have to say, there's this kind of absurdity, right? In that they're both so wise... And they're both so empty, mm-hmm. and they're both at the same time. Yeah. Well, again, I think a lot of, and again, it goes towards sort of my interpretation of Jack that he actually doesn't know a lot. Right. Is that what both Jack and Murray are talking about with Hitler and Elvis is trivia? Like, not it's 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 all kind of like the 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 kind of questions you would get on like a Trivial Pursuit type thing. Right, as if Trivial Pursuit would be a good judge of your credentials. Exactly. Yeah, right. The trivia defines, like, mm-hmm. memorizing names and dates and wars. Yeah. Or names of books. Well, we do more than that. What else? Poems? Names of authors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there is, and maybe that's why there's such insecurity built into mm-hmm. the profession. Because if you, what you really learn is how much you don't know. Mm. I mean, who wants a degree in that? No. Yeah. Seems kind of useless. Yeah, that's why you want to pursue something practical. Frankly, yes. Yes. Luckily, my kids are studying cinematography and theater, oh, 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 creative yeah. writing, and Opera. music. We're doing well. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, oh, yeah. Knock that one out of the park. Cash cows. Yeah. Cash cows, baby. Yeah, I, I could retire any minute now. Oh, yeah. I could just, just, yeah. just live on my kids' residuals. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. I mean, Vicky can't retire anytime soon, but you can. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they can only support one of us. Yeah, exactly. For sure. For sure. So one of the other things that struck me about the novel, and then mm-hmm. I'll get out of the way and let you pick up some stuff. No, that's fine. Here's a, a bonus fair or foul Ooh. from Chris McCoy of the Memphis Flyer. Okay. What was considered over-the-top crazy in 1985 is now just stuff that happens in everyday life. Yeah, that's fair. That's been my, I mean, that's been my, it, it's one of the interesting things I like about teaching White Noise. Because when, I, when White yes. Noise came out in 85, mm-hmm. everyone thought it was a work of science fiction. Because it seemed like it was, you know, the world was not quite there. Right. And then when I first started teaching White Noise, which was in Colorado in around like 2000 or so. Okay. Like my students invariably would say, they're like, oh, this is this is the world I grew up in. Like I recognize this world. Yeah. Now teaching it, students are just like, this is old. It's antique. Like this this seems so ancient and... Yeah. and... But but it's not, I would argue, because as I watched the, the movie... Mm-hmm. It, it opens with, like, a classic kind of 80s vibe, I think, if you look at the cars oh, yeah. and the well, fashion. The, the day and... of the station wagons is the opening paragraph of the yeah, novel. Yeah, it's so. just... It's, it's, I was very glad to see that. I was like, okay. It's brilliant. And it, it just... It, it felt like I was stepping back in time mm-hmm. into the 1980s. 
But it quickly hits home that like the 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 ways in which the eighties were seeding so much of what we have today. It, this is, I think, the brilliance of Dom DeLillo. Mm-hmm. It, assuming Don Don is is authentic to the book. Mm-hmm. But like, if you just start thinking it through, the ways in which the age of Reagan, mm-hmm. literally, like you know, impact more than just politics. So the the movie talks about mass shootings. Is that in the book? Yes. Like they're they're like they're talking about the one guy that shot five people, and the kids are talking back and forth, and the one guy says, "Well, he only shot five. Oh, the guy a, that Heinrich is playing chess right, with, plus a deputy later, right? And and it was in Iron City, which mm-hmm. nobody cares about. So it, there's not going to be enough media appeal right. for this guy to become a story. Mm-hmm. That seems so relevant. Yeah. No. I mean, that today, that's... like where like mass shootings happen so frequently mm-hmm. on a daily basis. That yeah. you see him like scroll across the screen and, yeah, no, you're, and you're done. Like we take all of that for the, granted. The line that jumps out for me in the novel, and it's not in the film because they didn't do this scene, is um, there's, a, there's a plane crash that almost happens. It doesn't happen. And there's a yeah. line in eight, 1985 that says, uh, barring terrorist attacks, airplanes are the safest way of travel. Like, oh, that hits differently after, yeah. after 9-11. Yeah. But the fascination with disaster in the novel mm-hmm. and the movie – describes us so well today. Oh, yeah. Like we I almost think that's our number one choice for entertainment anymore. Like why else would you watch Fox News? Yeah. Except well, to mean, be entertained by disaster. Like or, why else would you watch twenty four seven news? Reality cycles? TV and things like that, that that kind of spectacle of television. Speaking of which, a quick time out, mm-hmm. we have to do an episode on the traders. Oh god. Have you continued watching no, it? No, I have not. Oh it I is could not, I couldn't it watch is, the rest of that first oh, episode. It, it was is, so terrible. No 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 I'm telling you. Oh, the things awful. we could do with that show it awful. is, yeah. Al, that show is so beneath yeah. Alan Cummings. So, yes, so spectacularly awful. We have oh, to talk about it. I don't think I can watch. I'm that. telling you, the drama that they build, wow. it is spectacular. Like, I watched, did you ever watch Below Deck? I've watched Below Deck here or there. So Kate not, from not, Below I, Deck, I don't know any of is the on the Traders. Oh yes, she, she goes on a reign of terror that, that everybody should watch. It is the way she plays the game. Spectacular. Now I haven't finished it yet. Like okay. I still have the last episode to go. It is must watch TV. I, I couldn't watch more than the half hour. I'm telling of that you, first we, we I have to do it. We uh, never do uh, reality television. There's and no it reason is, why I hate it reality is, television. I love reality I television. Know I, I know. Reality and you're the boss. Um, so consumption is a way yeah. to avoid death. Like that is mm-hmm. like the 80s and that consumption boom is a way of yep. avoiding death. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the Continual search for drugs to make people better mm-hmm. instead of, you know, people making people better. Or not even to make people better, to make people forget about the fact that they're which, not well. Sorry, which is the way that better is defined. Because, you know, right. dialogue novel, doesn't right? actually do anything to treat death. It just makes you forget you're afraid of it. Right, right. But that is that is the medical industrial complex. Yeah. No offense to somebody who's moving forward into it. But, but we prescribe all kinds of medications mm-hmm. like this, and then medications on top of that to deal with the, the unwanted symptoms mm-hmm. of the medication that you don't really need. Yeah. yeah. The idea that in the 1980s, Americans are drawn to larger-than-life and mythic figures. Mm-hmm. It, you can draw a straight line from yep. white noise to Donald Trump. Yep. Like, it's it's right there. Like, yep. like he's telling you, your obsession with See, disaster— And now you your, understand why I teach this book yeah, every time I— Yeah, can. your insistence with not dealing with the problems of the world in which you live— mm-hmm. That's how you get Donald Trump. That's how you get the political situation we live in. Like, it is, I think, for a book written in 1985, uh-huh. it is ridiculously prescient in its yep. ability to diagnose almost 
all of the problems yeah. well, and that are going to come out of that decade. And it was even in its own time because about, what, a couple months after the book came out was the Bhopal India disaster. Yeah. Which was, which everyone was right. like, it's exactly like what happened in White Noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So there's always been kind of this, that's one of the reasons why I think White Noise, among all of DeLillo's works, I think sort of stands out and sticks with people. Because it is, yeah. I mean, he, he is, just, he is diagnosing kind of 1985, 1980s American society, but yeah. in a way that you can kind of trace, as you've done, a direct line from there to, to where we are now. It turns out when you have a disease in its early stages and you don't treat it, mm-hmm. it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Um, the idea in the in the movie that Americans will follow any frontiersman anywhere oh, yeah. without even thinking about it. You know, oh, he's a cowboy. I'm going with him. Yeah. Or in this case, he's driving a big SUV. Yeah. Which is um, one of the, that's one of the places where the film does deviate. Um, yeah. Because they, they don't go plowing into a river. They actually do get to the freeway by following the frontier people. So... I, I like the movie the better SUV. in that way. So like, yeah, that was, that, was that, like, moment was like that that kind of where, where Jack is. Well, because one of the other kind of of themes that's kind of bubbling under the 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 um, book is is Jack trying to live up to that image of kind of the cowboy American right. masculinity. Yeah, and so I, I did like that scene in the movie because I'm like yeah because whenever Jack tries to do that in the film he fails yeah. spectacularly. But and so him you know getting the station wagon into the river was great. The movie in that way is, is kind of a great critique of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And kind of the demands of masculinity and how mm-hmm. it is destructive. Yeah, um, I that loved, feeds into the confrontation yeah. with Mink as well. Right. So um, symptoms that keep changing as the news reports. Yep. Different symptoms. Yeah. It's it's you know I how do you watch that and not think about it's okay for a former president to have classified documents in their home until the other side has them and then it's not okay and you're just flip flopping back like it just it's just a symptom of the moment mm-hmm. right we're just yeah, and then um, finally, the the desire to ignore the ugly stuff. One of my favorite moments in the scene is the dinner, is the cloud is coming. Is the oh, airborne yeah, they, toxic yeah. event? Is, oh, like, and that's almost that's that they did not change much of that for you the can, book at all. You can see it mm-hmm. from the balcony, and the kids are like, you know, holy, yeah, like, that, we need to do something, right? And yeah. and Jack is like. That's going to be fine. Like, the wind's probably not going to blow. Yeah. If it does, it'll probably blow the other direction. I like when I think it's Steffi who's, like, all upset about the siren going by and saying to evacuate. And I think it's yeah. that bad. I was like, well, what was the tone? Did the tone seem like it was immediate? Like, we should do this right. now? Yeah. Like, what was yeah. the nuance of the tone? She's like, yeah, we're blaring it over loudspeakers. But Jack's insistence oh, yeah. upon not confronting... Mm-hmm. The ugly reality, well, the, the, like the death, the destruction, the, the and the other, but the other thing too is that him. Jack has, and, and this is something that that carries through in the novel as well. Jack has is so much invested in his image of himself as a Hitler professor, and and that the idea of that image is some kind of protection. Yeah, you know, he says like you never see college professors evacuating on TV. That's for the people that are that are beneath us. <laughs> That's and it's great. like That's you're not great. you're not yeah. wrong. But he, but right. he is sort of putting faith in what is a completely kind of of dubious representation. But I see he's I I see him doing that to avoid the reality, yes, right? Yeah, like I mean, he's that's... so desperate, he's like, "What's for dessert, dear?" As the the siren goes blaring yeah. by out front, it's just yeah. it's just I thought maybe I should read the book again. No, you should always read the book again. Well, fair fair point. But it is I just thought it was depressing. It's not as if people didn't know this in the 1980s. Yeah. It was that people chose not to think about this in the 1980s. And, you know, that's kind of an uncomfortable realization to to recognize that we all could have seen this. It's not really 
a huge surprise. If only we all, you know, read White Noise. Every semester. Not every semester. Maybe I'm going to start teaching it. I should have taught it in my environmental history class this semester. I told you to teach it in your environment. I, I yeah, taught I it in my sustainability class. Yeah. Well, I can't always be like you, unfortunately. No, I have saying. to strike out on my own yeah, so people don't see me as you. And yet, here you're reminded of why you shouldn't strike out on your own and you should just do what I do. Well, I'm going to ignore that like Jack and Babette would. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend like I don't know that. Okay. I'm going to go good. to that grocery store and I'm just going to dance through the aisles of consumption, baby. I did like the uh, the video at the end over the credits. Brilliant. I thought just, that was great. That was another just, good moment. And I liked the the very day glow supermarket because that was very in keeping with kind of a yeah. novel. Like it, I don't think a supermarket ever actually looked that day glow, but it kind of captures the way we feel about kind of right. the day glow kind of nineteen eighties supermarket. Absolutely, like and the way that it connects. If you'll indulge me for a minute, the way it connects consumption. And avoidance. Yeah. So I just read a book on Sun Ra. Do you know who Sun Ra is? He's like this avant-garde jazz musician, composer, Mm -hmm. director who did like some really far out stuff. But he he was really into wordplay and the way in which like you could reread the Bible by taking the word and turning it into like like wordplay. And so literally, how could you not think of Sun Ra? They're literally doing the avoid dance. Avoid dance, Uh, avoidance, right? Like, literally, the movie, if Sun Ra were still alive, would be like, that guy gets it. Yeah. It's literally the avoid dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is what we do, and we still do. Mm -hmm. Shame on us. So anyway, I feel like I've suggested a couple big ones. I should let you maybe take the lead. I have a couple other things I could mention, but... Well, I mean, I I have... uh, I mean, you've covered a lot of the things that that are good about the film and the book. Is, um, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah, sure. Is that where the title comes from? What? White noise. It comes from that avoidance. Like, is the is white noise the, the noise of everyday life that, that allows us to blind ourselves to larger questions? It's something, I mean, again, what, what the white noise is in the novel, um, It, it 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 exists on on multiple levels. Okay. Because there's because at one point there's um, I mean in general white noise is kind of a, a general motif in the novel for the things that are all kind of floating around around us and there all the time but we only really pay attention to them right every okay. once in a while yeah um, but white noise is also death which is that thing that is always oh, sort of floating good. around because that's the other thing I have on my notes yeah is, there, is it death? well there's a moment okay. late in the novel where I think Jack or someone asks you know what if death is all around us and someone says you know you know uh yeah like electrical noise white and it's like okay so yeah so but yeah so white noise kind of of okay. all of the things that are kind of and, and that we we live in such a kind of media um consumption saturated that that there there's there's stuff everywhere around us yeah. Um, and that stuff all has side effects. And right. and there are, you know, there's the things it's, that are around us and then there's the things that come from the things around us. And we're just sort of all awash in stuff that that is, is in different ways toxic. So like shopping for gum at the grocery store. Yeah. Where you either get sugar-free and cancer or you yeah. get sugar and fat. Yeah. You know, right. like, like that kind of... Yeah. So I... That kind of reminds me of the point where they can't distinguish between a simulated and a real disaster. Like, there's this kind of, like, tension, like, is this a simulated disaster? Is this a real disaster? Oh, simi- you're talking about Simivac. Yeah. Yes, I right, love that. Like, like Simivac plays a much larger role in the book. The inability, though, I to distinguish it. is really interesting. And Jack's, and again, to, to your point earlier, Jack's response is, 
well, like environmental stuff does happen Mm -hmm. and suffering results, but that usually happens to people who aren't rich Mm -hmm. and aren't white. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, the, 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 other, the sense of protection that's not a real The protection. other thing that they don't follow up with Simuvac that's yeah. in the novel that's not in the film that I think feed into your point is you find out later why Simuvac does what it does. Because they, they explain it one, but you see another simulation later on. Okay. Where they explain that's basically like, you know, you take your umbrella to the office every single day. The I, one day you don't take it is the day it rains. Right. They're like, that's the mechanism we're trying to employ is that if we keep simulating disaster, we will avoid actual disaster, which of course is is completely makes no sense. No, but it, another it, it's again another form of that kind of avoidance. But is that and and a way that makes us think that we have control over the world around us that is actually hostile and and out to get us. But if we have a catastrophe every day, simulated or not, we become kind of inured to catastrophe. No, like like if if every day there's going to be a catastrophe. It's either going to be simulated or real, but yeah. there's going to be a catastrophe every day. Well, and that that's... we just like the 1980s trained us yeah. to live with a catastrophe every that's day, true. Yeah. and that's kind of a really depressing realization mm-hmm. that you know Delillo again figured it yeah. out yeah. so long ago. Yeah. What do you think about the family dynamics? Were those true to the book? I think so. Um, okay. I mean, again, I, you know, I felt like we didn't get quite as much with the kid. I mean, Wilder, they didn't really do anything with Wilder. He, right. he's, he's much more prominent in the book. Yeah. Um, I think by and large they did. I don't know. I don't know how recognizable. Like, I can recognize what they're doing from the book. I don't know if there's enough to just realize how they are. Because they, I mean, well, right. I did, I did yeah. like, There's a, there are a couple moments where you kind of got the family and the characters all kind of talking over each other and, and kind of the chaos of their lives. Yeah. Which I which I certainly agree with, but at times yeah. it almost got too chaotic. And you couldn't... Because in the novel, you can discern what everyone is saying within right. those conversations. Yeah. And there were times where it got a little bit too in, noisy. In that way, it's almost a movie that demands repeat watching Yeah, to, to like start sussing out yeah. like a Valjean, Javert kind of, you know, what they sing over each other. Yes, in yeah. that kind of way, like in the in the musical. Yeah, so, so, but so but yeah. by and large, the family. I mean, the one thing I will say that I don't like that they did. Yes, is they made Wilder Jack and Babette's son, which he's not. None of the kids are Jack and Babette's. Oh, okay. In the book. well, that's interesting because that could change. It, it kind of changes the nature of the family. Substantial, yeah. unlike the names, which I was less sure of. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was that was when they when Jack says, "Oh, Wilder is mine." I'm like, "Oh no, he's not. He's not supposed to be." <laughs> So that that did annoy me. Oh, poor Jack. You don't know. Yeah. So. But the idea, like, that they keep coming back to, you can't have truth in families mm. because it destroys the myth of happiness. Mm-hmm. That's a hard. Yeah. That's a hard. The family is the cradle of misinformation. Well. <laughs> yeah. That's another line. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say, overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Can I give you? Are you ready to move to complaints, or do you have more? Oh no, I can. We can move to complaints. Okay. Complaints. As I recall reading the novel, uh-huh. I liked the beginning more than the end. Okay. There, I, I think somehow the last part with the Dylar and the hotel room, mm-hmm. and that kind of trajectory, for whatever reason, I don't remember it speaking to me as directly as did the airborne toxic event and the professoriate mm-hmm. and the other kinds of stuff it was talking about. I felt like the movie lost some momentum. As it moved forward for me. 
In some way, yeah. I mean, there there's a lot. Well, because number one, things move quite a bit differently because the the entire last section is really moving Jack towards that confrontation with Willie Mink. And right. they have to, and and things sort of conspire in a particular order. Right. And they 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 shrink a lot of stuff. Like in the film, you know, Murray gives Jack the gun during the airborne toxic event. In the book, it's Jack's father-in-law that visits. Okay. And gives him the gun. But does that matter? It. I. It, I think it does. How? Um. Well, because number one, it's it's that Jack gets the gun, and you know doesn't know what to do with so he gets the gun right then after that murray gives him his whole killers and dyers speech which basically says you know you've been a dyer all your life you know try to be a killer yeah and then he gets a target got it so all of those so but in the book you get the gun and the killer and dyer speech and the target just kind of happens via happenstance got it okay. i think the other problem the other major problem i have with the end of end of it is babette is not there during the confrontation with willie mink Okay, that now that you say that, I'm that, like, that is not that there. Does sound like you're actually tr- that's and, true to and the book. Yes, the book that I have taught. Yes, I'm. For I'm, seven, like you're, I'm agreeing with I you. Know the yes. book. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm surprised that all and of a sudden other, I'm like, you know what? She wasn't. There, and the was other she? thing that's a problem is that when they go to the hospital run by the German nuns, yes, Jack is the one who asks the nun, you know, what is the current opinion of heaven, right. and he's the one that they call a dumbhead. Having Babette say that, I found really problematic. I'm like, why, I'm like, yeah. why did you give that bit to Babette? Right. Like Babette shouldn't even be there. But if she is, Jack should own that line. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, in terms of particularly in terms of of the representation of Babette as a character, I didn't. You know, the the end of the novel really did a disservice, or the film did a disservice to her character because they make her seem yeah. A little bit too ditzy, and and she's the one that gets called the dumbhead. I was like, no, it's it's yeah. Jack is supposed to be the dumb one because Jack's the one that believes in all of these things. Well, and Jack is dumb, yeah, like in those ways. So that was that was that was one of my major. That was probably my most major problem with the film, and it's probably the place where the film most deviated from. Interesting, because Babette is yeah. not there. The whole like, oh, it bounced off my arm into your leg, and I'm like, okay. I'm yeah. pretty sure that is not what would have happened. Like, right? Yeah, that's, no. it seemed. It seemed. I was just Physics like physics of bullets. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, I don't see. Like, I, I don't know what. I don't know. I don't understand what Bombach was thinking. Except that you know she's my major actress. So I've got to have her in this scene. Yeah. Um. I, I. 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 She should not have been there. Like that. That kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. Fair. Fair. So that that's of all the things because it's because right up to that moment, yeah, I would have said the film's about ninety percent accurate to the book. Yeah, like it's a it's it's I, I you know they are trying. The only other thing yeah. that was weird was when when Jack has the vision of Willie Mink in his room, which I'm like, well, number one, that that's supposed to be the father-in-law when he shows up. When the father-in-law shows up, yeah, it's like five a.m. in the morning. Wilder wakes Jack. To say there's to take him to show that there's someone outside. Jack sees a guy in a hoodie on his swing set and yeah. assumes it's the Grim Reaper, and it starts running around the house to to like find his copy of Mein Kampf because that's his his little lucky rabbit's foot and all that. And then he goes outside and he walks out and sees that his father-in-law. It is one of the funniest moments in the text because he literally thinks death has come. Just- and it's right. and it's sitting there, and so. But the, he's going to ward off death with his lucky copy of Mein Kampf. Well, he, car- just, he carries Mein Kampf a, with yeah. him everywhere. It's always yeah. his good luck charm. Um, Man, academics but, are messed up. So yeah, so the whole like Willie Mink kind of floating around in the background that that I didn't like either because I'm like Jack doesn't know that Mink. I think they were going for kind of like that white noise, you know, things are all around us. But I'm like, right. 
having Jack, which I could live with the whole bumping into Willie Mink at the supermarket, but having Jack have a vision of Willie Mink in his house, when at that point he has no inkling who, who Mink is. I'm like, that's a little weird. Right. That was the other moment that I was like, that's probably, I, I don't think I like that. Okay. I, and that seems like a pretty legitimate so. and significant it's just a small little plot detail in some ways, mm. but it has it has ramifications for yeah. the meaning in the attention of the novel yeah. in ways that matter. Well, and the other thing too is that with Jack's father-in-law, Jack's father-in-law, he's the guy that knows how to fix everything around the house. He's the one that just kind of constantly points out to Jack that he's completely inadequate as a man in that kind of traditional yeah. man. I was like, oh, I would have liked to have seen Vernon. Right. It might have helped further elucidate yeah. Jack's character well, and, and that's well. the thing and is the that there, there are a lot I, there's confronts. a lot that gets cut out right. that I think ultimately plays off both in Airborne Toxic Event and Dialorama and you you might understand why a director would say the father-in-law like there's just too much going on in yeah. this movie to begin with we don't need him and yet there yeah. is something really yeah. kind of profound I feel like not being there you yeah. know I mean the way I always envisioned the film was you know it's two and a half hours. Oh, and, I'd like and, to I'd like to have you make the film. An hour for waves and radiation, a half hour for airborne toxic event, an hour for dialorama. Yeah. The problem is they wanted to make it all about the disaster. Yeah. And I think so. They waited it all wrong from your perspective. I, I, I think so. I was like, I mean, I can understand that because that's you know that is in some ways the most filmic part of the book. But I feel like you know they they might have done particularly to the first section. I don't know that they laid. It, they laid the groundwork enough. Is the book weighted in that way? Or is it more equally, like, third, third, third? No, no, no. It, no, it's yeah. what? The Waves and Radiation is is 100-something pages. Airborne Toxic Event is maybe 40. So you're and then Dialorama about, yeah. is the second half of the novel. All right. Okay. Like, Dialorama is basically half the book. Got it. Okay. What else do you have? Um, I'm out of... Complaints and, and uh, celebrations. Let's see. We've talked about a lot of things. Uh... We can just edit this out later. No, I think this is... This is, this is you think this is quality? This is the process. It is the process. This is the process of the show. You know, this, is, this isn't some canned... Right, we don't do a know, lot of... We clearly don't do a lot of editing. Of, overly, overly prepared over, type thing. Well, I think we're pretty well prepared. No, no, no. I mean, prepared in terms of camp. So does this movie right. classify as a horror movie? No, it's more of a. It's going for more of a disaster thriller vibe. Disaster thriller, okay. So something like Sharknado. And okay. yet, it doesn't. I, you know, it it certainly aspires to be. Yeah. More than. Yeah. That. Oh yeah, it does. But I, I, I think, in in all like the press that I saw with Bamback, he really emphasized the the disaster elements, which yeah. I was always worried about. I'm like, ah, that's a part of the film. That's not. That's not the film. Or the right. I should say that's part of the book. It's not the book. I mean, it's 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 basically the the pivot point of the novel where Jack goes from conceiving of death one way to conceiving of it of another way. Right. Because Jack always thought death is this huge, big, floating thing around me. I must make myself a big, huge thing right. to combat it. And then, of course, he gets death inside of him. He's like, okay, now death is a small thing inside of me. I need a small thing inside of me to deal with it. And yeah. so that's where the dialogue comes in. Right. Right. So. But yeah, I mean, there, and I, and I think part of it too is, is, you know, the dialogue by and large is directly from the book. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that. I, I think maybe they they might have needed to vary it a little bit. I think it might. I, I don't know that that Delillo's language translates as seamlessly to film. There was something I liked about that though, in that it made the film slightly 
unrealistic. Mm. Like, the, like the dialogue created. I, I, I don't know how to put this into words. Like, a, yeah. Like the sensation that you were watching a film, mm-hmm. but not in a in a bad way. Mm. In a way that, like, the film was trying to say something with that kind of distancing. Like it. it yeah. Like it, it. It created. It created a, a mood or a feeling for me that reflects in some way the way the novel wants you to feel. Yeah, I think my concern yeah. and I and again I you know was that the characters are so weird from the get-go. They're weird. That I I almost think they're too weird for the casual person to really identify. It seems like that's with. True, right? Like because that. I was looking up some fair or foul, which yeah. you don't have to do if you don't have time for. No. But on Google, it, it was a two out of five. Yeah, it's it, the well. I mean, I think the audience reaction on Rotten Tomatoes is like thirty three percent or something. I, I, like I looked at it this morning; it was thirty two. Yeah, it's not. So it's like it's it's, it's clearly it's, not. It's, I mean, it, it came and it went very quickly. Like, I don't know. No. Like people loved Wakanda Forever, and I didn't care for it. And yeah. I, I I'm reverse of them here. Like I I actually enjoyed this in a lot of ways. Yeah. But one fan, I thought you would love this review. Mm, okay. Tonight I had my first viewing of White Noise, the movie. Ooh, first viewing. That means he was planning to watch it more than once. She, but yeah. She. Yeah. Um, the film was a mashup of Salvador Dali, mm. Fellini, mm. and Kurt Vonnegut. Wait. Mm. With a sprinkle of magical realism found in Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah. That sounds like the perfect movie for you. Like, if I'm list, I'm checking out, I don't know if you're a big Dali fan. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And maybe yeah. you don't care for Fellini. Yeah. But you would I, I love like Vonnegut. You like Vonnegut, yeah. And Marquez, and I love right? Marquez. Well, in magical realism, and John. Yeah, I mean that. The, yeah. the problem like it's is what, that, one of your niche areas of expertise. Is, that golden is. pond upon which you sit yes. would be <laughs> magical realism, as right? A frog, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, the golden, the golden frog pond, on on golden frog pond. Um, that would be a great mashup to do. That would be. Yeah. Um, Kermit the Frog. Yeah, and that and that's the problem is that I worry that the world of white noise, the film, is too divorced from. Like reality, even though it is very much about our reality as it is. But that's what the dialogue captured for me. Like that's part of it. Yeah, like, that, but I feel, that but I feel like between it, divorced I, from and grounded in. But I feel it's too divorced from. Yeah. For people to really engage, to feel connected. Like I just think that yeah. everything's so weird from the get go. That and 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 because right. they so cut back on the opening sections, yeah. I don't know that the film. My feeling was that the film might not have done enough to make people care about the characters. And yet, unless you're like me, that have read the book and love the characters, I loved it. I've not read the book yeah. in fifteen years, but I think you're right. Like if you look at the reviews, and if you look at the list of you know Dali, Fellini, Vonnegut, and Marquez, that's those are not like, Marquez is about as close to mainstream. Right, as your mainstream American is going to be like, oh man, I you know I haven't seen anything Fellini esque yeah. in a couple of weeks. I need to go see me some more Fellini. Yeah, well, where's the FCU? The oh, Fellini Cinematic Universe. I, no, I, I was catching up to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem with Fellini. He doesn't have a cinematic universe. What a, what a room. The continuity you know, between his films does, is very does he, disappointing. Does he, does, he have a, does he have any understanding of filmmaking? Who is your big bad for for phase two, Fellini? <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, like, I, I, I you know, I, I had a hard, I, I came away from the film very lukewarm because I just couldn't divorce myself from the book. I loved it as a spectacle and mm-hmm. as a viewing experience, although I, I felt like it, it lost momentum as it, as yeah. it moved forward. It and just well, it and felt I, like it slowed. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of that just has to do with how much they really made the airborne toxic event the center of the novel, when yeah. actually it's the smallest part of... Or sorry, the center of the film, when it's the smallest part of the book. So what's the lesson today? Is the lesson that you should never 
watch a movie based on your favorite book? I don't know about that. I mean, I've, I've watched movies based on things I love in the past. Okay. And I haven't had, like... But, so, that you love this much? I think, I like, think is there probably, another movie that did this I mean, if there's, if a, there's a lesson to take away from this... Yes. I don't think it's for me. I think it's it's for, for Baumbach, is that he really, really should have hired me as a consultant. Well, it does feel like that involves you a little bit in the lesson, actually. But I'm not the one learning the lesson. That's the important thing. Oh, okay. So the lesson, lesson is that you would teach. You would have taught. I would have been. I could have. I could. Have, yes. I like to think that. I, like I like to think the fact that they didn't change the names is because they heard me complaining about the name change. I do imagine often that our podcast has that kind of. Power. Yeah, that Bambach was like, yeah, no, I, I, I need to no, keep him like as Hamil- Hamilton. Hamilton's going to crucify Hamilton's, me if I, if Hamilton's I change right. Like, that's essential. You know? That's essential. Yeah, yeah, like, to he's the... just going to detonate a bomb, and then nobody's going to like this movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Yeah. I guess we should have criticized it more. You could have fixed it up. Well, now it's too late. Well, that's oh, what you I mean. I mean earlier. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe yeah. maybe someone will go back into the annals of the podcast and, right. and find where we critiqued it and point them out to bound back. God knows in the world in which we live, like, everything gets rebooted every three years now. Pretty much. Like Batman or whatever. You so never know. We should yeah, be making another white noise any day now. Yeah, yeah, you could have the the white noise, the Hamilton cut. Oh. Ooh. It, it would be about as long as the Snyder cut, I think. You know, I, yeah. You never watched the Snyder Cut. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I did. Are you going to watch The Traders? I don't know. We should totally do The Traders. Uh, it is so much fun. It is, I'm telling you, it is It is hate train wreck good reality See, television. that's the thing. There's no such thing as train wreck good. I'm telling you. Did you, you learn nothing from white noise? Train wrecks are bad. If you, oh my God, I am the problem. You are the problem. It's too late though. Like you should have fixed it back in the '90s when you knew it, and you didn't. So now you're stuck with me, I'm and I think the, we should do it. You, know, you just didn't read the we, book. You know, if we did it, we would be deconstructing it mm-hmm. in a way that would be tearing it apart, so that it would be doing people a favor. I'm, I'm a question: When does it yeah. become we are doing white noise from I am doing white noise? No, the traders. We're doing oh, the, the traders. Oh, we're doing the traders. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want it on your white noise project. It's going to be a freaking disaster, man. No, it's going to be fantastic. It's got zero chance. It's going to be so good. You know, yeah, here's the Hollywood pitch. You know how white noise went wrong? What we really need is a college professor. <laughs> that's that's going to fix it. Like, that'll fix it right up. We're, we're going to bring him in. We're going to academic it up. We're going to you know, be more true to the source material. We're going to makes you think I would academic it up. Have you read the stuff? You'd make an earth space of reified and flattened. Would not do that. White not, noises. Not for white noise. I would not do that. I would. I would. I would bring life to it. To it. So yeah, it's odd because it, I mean, there's a lot of ways that it is a very faithful adaptation to the yeah. book, and yet there's it just kind of it feels like it kind of lost part of the book for me. Maybe it'll be like Watchmen. It'll it'll get better the more you watch it. Which Watchmen? The Zack Snyder version? Yeah. That doesn't get better as I watch it. Oh, it does too. No. That's a good movie. I mean, it's a perffectly fine movie. It's, well, it's a pretty it, good movie. It, it, it's perfectly serviceable, serviceable in terms of adapting the plot of the graphic novel. Doesn't really capture canon, right? Got to get the canon. So it's yeah, it's perfectly. As soon as it gets fine. the canon, you'd be. In fact, I think I might have had notes comparing. In fact, that's I did compare this to Watchmen. Did you really? Yeah. Interesting. In that it kind of got the plot, but I think it kind of missed some of the larger mm-hmm. stuff. Interesting. And there, there, there is a way that at times it felt like it's like, oh, we're doing this scene now. Okay. Yeah. And oh, we're doing this scene now. Okay. Didn't feel that way to me, but that's I didn't good. know that there were scenes. Well, but again, that's that's part of my experience of the novel. Like I said, I couldn't separate the film from my experience of the novel. I think I think the past hour has demonstrated that fairly yeah. clearly. Yeah. I mean that's I I fully I fully copped it. You know what like, you'll be able to separate yourself from? Don't the say traitors. the traitors. The traitors. Hundred <laughs> percent. 
I can't. Uh, oh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna. By the time you're into the no. third episode, how many episodes you, are there? There's like nine. Or oh, jeez. No. No, no. There's no, just nine. just nine or ten, and I'm telling you, you are gonna be on the edge of your seat. Like, I will, who's no, gonna I get murdered? Who's gonna get banished? Oh, will the traitors be discovered? No, I don't care. Who exactly is this Cody guy, and why is he a star? Well, I'm I don't pretty, know. Oh, why, why are any of them are stars? Like, oh, none of them. But like, like they, the, there's that one scene you mentioned. Yeah. Where like, I'm a celebrity. I can yeah. use that to manipulate people. I'm like, who are you? Yeah, it's like all of the celebrities are like, well, there has to be so many celebrities who are traitors. I'm like, how can you distinguish between like, the celebrities and the everyday yeah, I can't, people I, here? That's the thing. Because I there's either. no difference between. Except for the Wait, one, except Ryan Lockey, who I eventually recognized right, as he's the swimmer. A, he's so dull. Yeah, so I was right. like, oh, that's I remember him. So back so, when he had a show on E. So here's the so here's the thing. And then the Clearly. other guy from from the Shaws of Sunset or whatever it is on Bravo. Reza. Yeah, I recognize yeah. Reza. Though I think those are only two I recognize. Well, you won't recognize Reza for long. And, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one already show figured, doesn't treat him well. The one already figured out who the one that's on there with like her co-star. She's like, well, he's clearly one of the traitors. I'm like, well, you are correct because he is. I'm like, he, he's not going to the be real housewives one. lady. No, I don't think it's the real housewives one. Are you sure? I can't remember. Anyway, the point is, we're gonna so how much fun we're having already. We are gonna watch this show and we are gonna do a deep dive into the underbelly of mm-hmm. reality television. And 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 what are you going to be watching while I watch this? What do you want me to watch? Have you watched Wednesday yet? I have not. I just finished Wednesday. Yeah, is it good? I've got. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, like good it's to talk about. Good. Is it going to be as good as Traders to talk about? I don't know. Well, is it that's, going to be as good as question. you think Traders is to talk about? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Traders is going to be is it going to be queen level good? Is it exactly? Yes. It was so. The conversation we had about Chad. That know. goes down in the annals. I think there was a conversation between you and Amanda that I largely tolerated. <laughs> That's why I remember being so. Yeah, I just say I don't think that was you and me. I think that was you and Amanda. You didn't didn't appreciate Chad. No, he's gone on to a serious film career too. Has he? Yeah. Yeah. Played Buzz Aldrin in something. Oh, okay. Like you're playing an astronaut. Like, oh, another career that drinks a lot. Astronauts, (laughs) right? Astronauts don't drink a lot. I feel like they do. No, no. You're thinking about the not on the ship. Like after they get back. No, you think about the people at Houston. They drink a lot. There's, no, there's NASA. it's like NASA. Yeah. NASA drinks people, a lot. Or the people in Houston. People in Houston. <laughs> just the people in Houston. <laughs> listen, just general. They're being people, told, listen, people, Houstonians. They're being told they lot. have a problem all the time. Right. It's no, I understand that. I understand Houston. We have a problem. Good. But, that was but good. what, I like what that. I'm saying Thank is, <laughs> I think that like, it's God, like Top Gun. Like those guys play hard, work hard. You mean Top Gun Maverick, which is a nominee for best film? I just i I can't even anymore. That that. Maybe we should watch that and do that. I probably should. Top, oh, Top Gun's so good. I haven't seen the second one yet. That's what we're talking about is the second yeah, one. I haven't t- seen the second one. The first, the first one, one was so good. The first one was so good. Tom Except- Cruise has magic in his tiny little finger. I think it's his thetans. Could be. It's less magic than thetans. I don't know. I can't explain it, but the man the man sells. He does. So I, we should probably wrap things we up. We should probably wrap things up. Yeah, but the good news yeah. is our listeners can definitely expect a show on the traitors. I'm not sure. <laughs> At some that we point should. in the near future. But not next week, because next week. Next week is um, Glass Onion. Yes. Oh. We're going to talk Knives Out. We're talk Knives Out. And, well, and, we're talking uh, about Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. So well, not, Knives Are Out kind of out every time we come into the studio. Oh, I should have saved that for next we week. Ooh. No. Killed we can cut opener. it out. We can cut I it. Just, I just killed the opener. Just now killed, it's better that I killed it. You just killed yeah, yeah, killed it. Yeah, you killed it. Now you're revealing another layer that's just of, of your glass onion, which is the pretty thing that's empty. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
We're already you know what also is pretty and empty? The traders. It's so <laughs> I'm not sure it's pretty. I, I will agree. It's, it's like empty. a dumpster right, fire. So next week. I think it's an insult to dumpster fires <laughs> to call that a dumpster fire. But Which yes, next week. for the show. Next yes. week. Glass onion. Glass onion.